You're listening to the podcast from Withington Christian Church. For more information, visit withingtonchristian.church. Carry on with our study in Matthew's Gospel. We've been looking at this uh, study together um, and we are not making fast progress. But nonetheless, uh, we're, we're covering some very, very important verses um, in relation to what the Lord Jesus had to say, this Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to turn again to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Uh, And we'll read again from verse 1. This morning we're going to be looking again at that particular uh, beatitude. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So reading from verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so we thank the Lord for that reading this morning again. Uh, those beatitudes, those beautiful attitudes that mark out those who have come to know Jesus Christ as their saviour, those who've realised that he came to die for them on that cross, in their place, as their substitute, and in realising their sinful position, the fact that they couldn't live life following his ways, they've come to realise that they're broken, and that's what it is to be, have a poverty of spirit. They're mourning over their sinfulness. They're hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Uh, that is that they're looking for something more to satisfy the longing of their heart. Because they don't find it anywhere else. And these are those who become happy, blessed. That's what the word blessed means. Because they find their satisfaction, they find forgiveness, they find comfort, they inherit the kingdom of God through all that Christ has done on the cross for them. And so then we see how the trusting Christ uh, marks us and moulds us and shapes us so that we become those who are merciful. We become those who care and have a compassion for others. We become those who are meek. We become humble, recognising our fallen position. Um, And uh, we become those who are pure in heart, genuine, authentic, real. We become those who who then, uh, having fulfilled all of those beatitudes, we then become those who are persecuted. And we started to look at this last week. And if you live your life as the Lord Jesus did, marked by these beautiful attitudes, what you will discover is this, is that the world in which you live, which is a fallen world, will not like it. 
and you will become persecuted. And that persecution comes in all sorts of forms and in all sorts of different ways. Uh, And we've given some examples of that last week. We spoke a little bit about my own personal background in school environment. And I'm sure you can relate to persecution you've experienced in the workplace. uh, And how that you no longer get invited to certain things. And people don't really want you around because they see you as someone who's going to be a party pooper. As someone who doesn't go the same way as they go. Maybe someone who pricks their conscience because of the way that you live. Uh, there's something about that, isn't it, that people don't like. So persecution comes from being followers of Christ. And we were saying last week that in the world in which we live, the West, generally speaking, is unique because Christianity is something that's persecuted. Uh, And you see that throughout the world. You see that in lots of different countries. We are thinking about that last week. Where to be a follower of Christ means you sign up to be persecuted, to lose your job, to lose your family, to struggle financially, to miss opportunities in life, maybe even to be wounded and afflicted, to even be killed. And of course we know throughout the world that people are losing their lives daily because they are followers of Jesus Christ. And so uh, we will see uh, that uh, when we are uh, those who are Uh, following the Lord Jesus, displaying these beautiful attitudes as he works in our hearts and our lives, we begin to see uh, that we uh, are um, those who become persecuted. And so let's think about this persecution that we receive. Um, Where does it come from? Uh, What is is it as a result of? Um, And uh, we'll just think about that in particular. 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 14 to 16. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. This is all about persecution for righteousness sake, for being those who are Christ's righteous ones. And it says this, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. You are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So that verse makes it very clear that if we suffer persecution for Christ's sake, for righteousness sake, because we are those who are righteous in Christ, then we are blessed, we are happy, but we are blessed of God. Um, And that's a great privilege to be blessed of God. But then verse 15 goes on to say this, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. So, in other words, if our suffering is as a result of our own wrongdoing, our own sinfulness, then we can't count that as something as being blessed. And we said a little bit last week about this, that we have to be careful, don't we, that as Christians in the world in which we live, we don't go out there to be troublemakers to be those who bring strife and disunity, uh, to be those who are going around pointing the finger at everybody. You shouldn't be doing that, you shouldn't be doing that, you shouldn't go there. You're an evil generation. No, the Lord hasn't given us the role as Christians of being the ones that pull up the world and the way it lives itself and the way it conducts itself. 
If we do that, then we get a bad name for ourselves. And Christians have got a bad name for themselves over the years because of that type of behaviour. You know, the Bible tells us that we should judge ourselves, first of all. And then judgment beyond that is very much in the house of God. It's amongst the children of God. Uh, and it's in certain set situations and set in certain set cir- circumstances. What is our response to the world in which we live? It's a response of love. Love your neighbour and do good. Not as a sense of judging. And so we should be that quiet, godly, righteous, holy influence in the place that we're in. In the workplace, we should be known for being kind and gentle and humble. We should be known for those who help others, for those who love others, for those who are different. Those who have a savour of Christ, that we stand out from the crowd, that we're marked, not because of our shouting and our noisiness and our pointing the finger, but because of our gentle our meek, our mild, our lovely, kind way, as we are those who are marked by meekness, as we are those who are marked by mercy and compassion. And so we need to make sure we're not suffering because of the inappropriate way in which we behave amongst people who are unbelievers. Verse 16 says, goes on to say, Yet if anyone suffers as Christians, let him not be ashamed... But let him glorify God in that name. And so, as we suffer as Christians, and it may be in a snide way, it may be, as we said already, that, it, that you're not included, that you're left out, that you are ignored. As we suffer as Christians, because we're Christians, because of righteousness, then we glorify God. Um, Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. And then we want to move on to look particularly at examples of people who were the servants of God, who are persecuted for righteousness sake, who are persecuted for the work that they did for God. And as we look back in the Old Testament, we see a number of different characters who suffer. In fact, it's a reoccurring theme of individuals who suffer for being God's man and God's servant in the particular situation which they find. One of the first people we want to think about is Moses. I hold Moses in total and utter admiration. What an amazing man Moses was. And yet, you know, we need, we need to do well to remember, do well to remember that Moses was a murderer. What? Moses was a murderer. While he was in Egypt, he grew up in Egypt under Pharaoh's, in Pharaoh's household, Pharaoh's daughter's son. Um, and whilst he was in that role, he murdered uh, another Egyptian. And of course, he was also a coward because having murdered another Egyptian, he, fly, he, he runs away. <laughs> and then... Not only that is Moses, he's actually derelict to his duty. He, he just goes out into the desert and looks after sheep. He doesn't actually even act correctly opposite his children. You say, how do you, how do you know, where do you get that from? Well, let's not forget that in relation to Moses, his wife, Zipporah, they had children. And remember, we read a particular occasion when, when, when Moses is going back to Egypt to do God's work, that he comes under the judgment of God. Why does he come under the judgment of God? Because he didn't circumcise his sons. 
So he wasn't carrying out his duty as a father opposite his children. And yet Moses is the man who God meets with at the burning bush and chooses him to be the one who will deliver the children of Israel from Egypt. And you think about that. You think of all those millions of people that Moses has to lead out of Egypt through the Red Sea and into the wilderness. And what were those people like? What a nightmare. (laughs) They grumbled and they grumbled and they complained and they complained and they continually really were attacking Moses and those who God had appointed as the leaders, Aaron as well, um, And Moses was described as the meekest man in all the earth and I'm not surprised (laughs) because of what he had to put up with. He suffered uh, at the hands of those people. Exodus 5.11 says this. Well, that's reference to the fact that when he uh, uh, told Pharaoh that the children of Israel were going to leave, the Pharaoh increased their burden and uh, they had to go out and get their own straw and they all complained at Moses. And yet Moses was the deliverer. Uh, Exodus 14, verse 11. And they said to Moses, it is because there is no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away in the wilderness. What have you done to us bringing us out of Egypt? Here they are complaining. Exodus 16, 2. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Exodus 17 too. Therefore the people quarrelled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? And so he is persecuted for righteousness sake. He is persecuted as the servant of the Lord. And after all of that, after all that he deals with, 40 years in the wilderness with those complaining people, he doesn't even get to go into the promised land The thing that he lived for, because he disobeyed the Lord and instead of speaking to the rock, he struck the rock and that brought a penalty, a judgment upon him. And so Moses is an example of someone who suffers persecution as the servant of the Lord. What about Samuel? Samuel's the same, 1 Samuel 5, 8, 8 verse 5. Um, behold you are old this is what the people said to him behold you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways now appoint us a king to judge us like all the nations and so they rejected Samuel and his leadership what about Elijah Elijah was despised as well 1 Kings eighteen seventeen. when Ahab saw Elijah Ahab said to him is it you the troubler of Israel Imagine being described as that, a troubler of Israel. Elijah was persecuted. 1 Kings 19 verse 2. Then Jezebel sent a message to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. And so Jezebel threatens Elijah. And isn't it interesting You find with Elijah that he stands up against the prophets of Baal and he demonstrates to Almighty God and his ability to destroy that that, um, uh, sacrifice. And yet when it comes to Jezebel, that wicked evil queen, uh, wife of Ahab, she makes a threat against him. And what does he do? He runs. He takes off. He finds a quiet place. 
and he wants to die. Wow, a servant of the living God, also marked by failure. And yet a servant of God who's persecuted for his righteous stand. Nehemiah was the same in building the wall. Nehemiah chapter 4 um, uh, outlines for us um, something of what Nehemiah has to, 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 to stand up against. Sambalat, who wants to frustrate the work that Nehemiah is doing in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Uh, and, and he suffers for that. God has laid this heart, this exercise on his heart to go and do the work of the Lord, to rebuild the walls, and yet there is opposition. What about the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, it's interesting, isn't it, to see the opposition to Christ, which starts really very, very early on. A tiny baby, just maybe one or two years of age. And what does Herod do? Herod sends out a decree that all the babies in Bethlehem should be slaughtered in an attempt to kill the chosen one, to kill the Messiah. So even before he's a, a, a child, uh, uh, just while he's a baby, there are those who are out to kill him, to uh, work against him. And of course, this is all motivated by Satan, who sees him as the seed of the woman, who seeks to destroy, to trip him up, to cause him not to accomplish the mission for which he's being given. And he encounters opposition time and time and time again. And of course we know, isn't it interesting to see, where does the strongest opposition come from for the Lord, Je from, for the Lord Jesus? Well, it doesn't come from the common people. It doesn't come from the poor people. It doesn't even come from the Romans. You would think it would come from the Romans, that Christ would be a threat to them. No, it comes from the religious leaders of the day. That's where the opposition comes from, for Christ. They're the ones who persecute him. They're the ones who question him. Those are the ones who, sit, who won't follow him, who work against him. And so Christ sets out that example of being a sufferer, one who's persecuted for righteousness' sake. And we know, of course, they all conspire ultimately for him to be crucified. And yet in that, God is working out his purposes in his plans because Christ, his death on the cross, provides the basis upon we as sinners who break the law of God can be forgiven and can be restored to God and know the righteousness of God being given to us, imputed to us. And that's all because of Christ's death and resurrection. Well, what about uh, Stephen? Stephen was the first Christian martyr uh, as recorded in scripture um, and Stephen suffers for his faith's sake remember that he uh, preaches the word of God and the response to his preaching his faithful proclamation in, in relation to Christ and in what Christ has done in response to that you find uh, that Stephen then becomes the first martyr that men take up stones to stone him and they stone him to death and he, he dies uh, and yet well, while he's being stoned, he has that vision of Christ. Uh, and of course, he exemplifies Christ in his way in which he's martyred, uh, in that he doesn't want the sin to be held to the account of those who are casting the stones. But it's notable, isn't it, on that occasion, that where there was one young man who was there, and he was holding the coats of those who cast the stones, and that was none other than Paul, the Apostle Paul, who God is going to challenge, who God is going to meet and change. 
and uh, he will indeed uh, become a chosen vessel of God. So Peter, Stephen rather, the first martyr. You have John who's cast into prison. You have Peter who's cast into prison. Remember that amazing, miraculous deliverance of Peter from prison? The people of God come together and they pray. And as they're praying, God hears their prayers and he provides a great deliverance for Peter from prison. His chains fall off, the doors open and he's led out by an angel out of the prison. And then he goes to the house where the prayer meeting's taking place and he knocks on the door. And there, Rhoda answers the door and she's so shocked by what she sees, she shuts it again and goes back in and says, Peter at the door. (laughs) Peter, that amazing deliverance uh, from prison. But what about James? Because he also was in prison in those early days of the church. James wasn't released. James didn't have a miraculous release. Instead, he was beheaded, as was John the Baptist. John the Baptist, who stands up against Herod for mar- marrying uh, his, a, a, a woman he shouldn't have married, uh, and uh, he, he ends up losing his head over that. And so the servants of the Lord, feeling the persecution uh, for the sake of Christ, for standing for Christ, And what an honour is theirs, what a privilege is theirs for those who will be in heaven as a result of persecution. And surely that is the case today for the thousands of Christians throughout the world who have lost their life for Christ's sake. Well, that is a great blessing for them. Blessed are you, blessed of the Lord are you. I remember some years ago um, visiting a lad in prison um, the work that I'm involved with, we work with ex-offenders. And this lad had come from Pakistan um, and he'd been doing Bible study courses in prison and he professed to being a Christian uh, and uh, because of his crime, he was from Manchester, uh, but because of his crime he was going to be deported. Uh, and I went to visit him in the, um, uh, the, the, the centre that he was in, uh, immigration centre that we, he was in, first of all, uh, in the Midlands and then down at, at um, the airport down there uh, to, in London and uh, I got to talk to him and he told me that he lived in the same town where uh, Christians had been slaughtered uh, I think it was on Good Friday uh, they were in a park together and some gunmen came in you may remember it was in the news some gunmen came in and opened fire on them and, 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 and quite a lot of them were killed and children were killed as well. And he said, Wesley, I come from that town. If I go back there as a Christian, I don't know whether I'm going to be able to survive. Well, I don't know what happened to him. I did get an email some years ago, but I've not heard anything since. But those who are persecuted for Christ's sake, who lose their life for Christ's sake, blessed are you well we know with Paul that Paul then becomes a believer on the Lord Jesus he meets Christ on the road to Damascus he has that encounter that vision where he sees the risen Christ uh, and he's challenged about the fact that he Paul is persecuting Jesus Christ and he has that great conversion that point at which he trusts Christ that point in which he turns his back on his old way of life and he loses everything but he gains everything and he gains everything in Jesus Christ And so then we find that this Paul, 
The prophecy that was given to Ananias in relation to Paul when he first went to see him after he'd become a Christian, it was this. It was that he was going to suffer for Christ's sake. And if ever a servant of the Lord suffered for Christ's sake, it was Paul. He went through so much. He was beaten so many times. He was persecuted in so many days. He was caused to be hungry. He was stripped naked on occasions. He had to escape from a city. Uh, he was involved with shipwrecks. Uh, he was left for dead on a number of occasions. A whole list of things that Paul encounters as he suffers for Christ's sake. And then even as he's preaching the word of the Lord, he comes up against opposition. 2 Timothy 4, verses 14 to 17, he says this, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourselves, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defence, listen to these words, at my first defence, no one came to stand by me. All, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. Paul, that faithful servant of the Lord who suffers for the Lord in so many ways, who challenges who takes criticism by the false prophets. Ultimately, he, when he goes to Rome and he stands there, he's deserted. He's left alone, except the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. Verse 17, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was reduced, rescued from the lion's mouth. On that occasion, he was spurred, he was rescued. But of course, ultimately, he did lose his life as a martyr for Christ's sake. But he suffered no end. And that's what it is to be a servant of the Lord. That it brings persecution, that it brings suffering. Well, how are we to respond? How are we to respond? Matthew, 11, 12, Matthew 5, 11 and 12. Blessed are you when you are, others revile you and persecute you and utter all kind of evil against you falsely on my account. How are we to be respond? Listen to verse 12. Rejoice and be glad. What? Rejoice and be glad? Yeah. Rejoice and be glad. Why? For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In other words, it's a high honour to suffer for Christ's sake. You find yourself in that difficult situation, your workplace, your colleagues are giving you a hard time, they're gossiping about you, they're spreading rumours about you, and you find it hard, and it breaks your heart, and it makes the workplace difficult. Maybe it's the home situation, you've become a Christian at home, and nobody else in your family is a Christian, and everybody's turning against you, and they don't want you around, and they don't want to invite you. And you're finding it hard and painful. Maybe it's just someone who's continually criticising you. Someone who continually goes against you. Very few of us know what it is to suffer physically in this country. But of course we're seeing people who preach the gospel being arrested continually. I remember many years ago as a young lad uh, involved with some open air outreach. Um, this is the closest to physical persecution I've come up against. And some young lads came along and thought it was funny to start throwing stones at us. <laughs> um, well, we managed to duck the stones and nobody got hurt. But if we had got hurt, well, counted an honour, not that we were looking for it. 
that you suffer for Christ's sake. So when you find yourself in that situation, rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. The Lord sees it. And the Lord is with you. And the Lord will stand by you. As he stood by Paul when he was abandoned by everyone else. So the Lord will stand by you. In whatever situation you find yourself. When you're suffering for righteousness sake. You are blessed. You will receive your reward in heaven. And so that should be our response. Rejoice and be glad. Because our reward is in heaven. You know the Lord Jesus said if they persecuted If they persecute the Lord, they will persecute us as well. John 15, uh, nearly finished. John 15 uh, says this. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you because the world loves its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. And if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse of their sin. Whoever hates me, hates my father also. And if I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in the law, that the word that is written in the law might be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, that's the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. And these are the words that the Lord Jesus speaks to his disciples, and they're relevant for us today. If the world hated him, they will hate us, even though we are marked by these beautiful attitudes. That is what comes to us. Paul, as that minister of Christ, uh, 1 Corinthians 4 verse 19, we haven't got time to look at it, but that outlines to us something of what he goes through. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. And he goes on about being a fool for Christ's sake uh, and how that he suffers for Christ's sake. Um, and regarded as the scum of the world, is the refuge of all things. That's what Paul says. That was what the world, how the world regarded him, uh, and those false prophets regarded him. And so we are blessed because uh, we suffer for Christ's sake. We have a great reward that will be ours in heaven because of what we put up with. And, you know, we can say that those who suffer for Christ's sake, they have an unspeakable privilege of fellowship with the sufferings of the Saviour. That's an immense privilege, to suffer for Christ's sake. Uh, And Paul knew it, and we will know it as Christians. It's part of normal Christianity, and it will become more evident as time goes on. Secondly, because such tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, Such hope will not make us ashamed. As we're tested, 
we learn patience. That's how patience grows. And patience brings hope. And so that's another effect that persecution has on us. And also, thirdly, we know that there's coming a day when we will be fully recompensed for the suffering that we have suffered for Christ's sake. And so, finally, with the words of Romans 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. If you're suffering now, what do you do? You look to the glory that is to come. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of, of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, is set down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Christ looked forward to the glory that was his, so we too look forward to the glory which is ours as those who suffer for Christ's sake. Let's just pray. Lord, we give thanks and praise for what we've been able to think about this morning. We think about these, your servants, who suffered for your sake down through the ages. Thank you for their faithfulness. And yet, Lord, we also see their failure as sinful men. And yet, Lord, we pray for ourselves today that we may be those who are faithful to you, those who are willing to live out that righteousness that we've received practically. Uh, and Lord, we know this will bring persecution. We know people won't like us and people won't invite us to things and people will reject us and say all manner of evil against us. And some in certain circumstances are being affected physically and some even losing their lives. Help us, Lord, to count this a privilege, to see it as a blessing, not to pursue it, not to go after it, but, Lord, to accept it when it comes and to trust you in the midst of it. And so, Lord, we just commit ourselves to you now. Thank you for all who've come this morning. Pray your blessing on their lives. Pray they'll know your help in coming days. And pray that you'd open their eyes to what you've done for them through your Son, the Lord Jesus. And, Lord, we do continue to pray for Paul and for your healing hand on him. We just ask these things now in the worthy and precious name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to the podcast from Withington Christian Church. For more information, go to withingtonchristian.church.